This is a conversation with Peter Levelin Davies. He is president of the organization Biotech Austria and has more than 25 years experience in life science at companies like Medigen, Shield Therapeutics or Apiron. We are talking about the future of the life science industry in Europe. Enjoy the show. Welcome back uh, to another recording of the Life Science Get Together podcast, Beginner's Mind. Uh, Peter Llewellyn Davies as guest on the show. Peter, good to have you back. Yes, thank you, Christian. Lovely to be here. And it's always, <laughs> yeah, an exceptionally sunny day. It's always good to see you and uh, your face in uh, great sunshine. Uh, Peter, over the weekend, I read a report by Deal Room, which was highlighting the development of the startup ecosystem in Central Europe. And it was pretty amazing. Um, I remember two facts that uh, from 2010 to 2021, the valuation of the startups in Central Europe increased from, I think it was about 10 million to 169 billion. And also the VC funding increased uh, three to four times. But usually in such reports, um, I think the showcases that are highlighted are more from the consumer side. And um, I missed a little bit the, the life science perspective and uh, thought that uh, maybe you can share some stories of uh, your career. You have, uh, if I remember it right, more than 25 years experience in life science in Europe. And I would be curious to hear how you perceive the involvement of the life science ecosystem in Europe. Well, thank you for the opportunity to share my insights with uh, other listeners. Um, well, I personally only started in the biotech industry in 2006 when I joined Wilex, uh, which was based in Germany, and we completed an IPO on the Frankfurt Stock Exchange. But I did have, in fact, uh, certain uh, connections to biotech with smaller companies who had started in industrial biotechnology, for example, catalysts, convertible catalysts, but also food processing. So it's an interesting business and it, it inspired me to move on. And since I joined Wilex, uh, I moved on to Medigine uh, and also was on the board of Immunicore and Adaptamoon. Immunicore did the largest financing round in Europe, uh, over 300 million euros for a private company in Adaptamoon. Uh, complete an IPO in the US. And currently I'm CEO of Apara, as you know, uh, but also on the board of Shield Therapeutics. So um, my, ex my experience expands from the US to the UK to Central Europe. And just to answer your question, what has happened since 2010? Let's move a step back. If you might remember, biotech really started picking up around 2000. Uh, in Austria in particular, Intercell was the first IPO mm -hmm. of the kind. In Germany, like Medigine and other companies, Morphosis, all started around that time. And, and then it sort of sl slugged a little bit over the 2010s and went down in popularity and people are struggling a bit. But since the success stories of Biontech in particular, the industry in Europe has picked up tremendously since 2017, 18, and in particular 2020. Yeah, it was a great move from BioNTech, I think. Uh, do I remember it right, uh, Peter? Maybe you have some information about that BioNTech started already also in 2008. Uh, so it was a, a long way up to 2019. Yes, exactly. And, and what's one thing that just to, that very, very much matches your question? 
What's different in Europe, in particular in Central Europe, is that you have to rely on family offices and high net worth individuals a lot more than you would, let's say, in the Anglo-American uh, type environment. I.e. BioNTech was funded with tremendous multi-million amounts through MIG, a fund in Germany, but also the Stringman brothers who got the project started and gave sufficient funding, amongst others, to move BioNTech not only to the clinic, but very close to approval, which led to the vaccine. How do you how do you perceive the development of the private and public sector in life science in the last 15 years? Well, um, the public field, particularly in Central Europe, is not progressing as well as it should be. That's primarily due to the fact that the investors in Central Europe are not prone to take many risks. They see they don't see the success; they see more the risks, and this is something that we have to change. Obviously, with more and more success stories coming up, and I'll come to that later, people will think differently about biotech and see it not only as an opportunity to make money, which a lot of people have, but also to do something for society and for general health, because that's basically what we're here for. Peter, in the last year, we had uh, a podcast recording. Um, I think it was in September where we were talking about uh, your tremendous success in raising a um, a larger financing round in, I think it was about eight weeks. So it was really a very quick round. And right after, if I remember it right, you made another move in creating uh, a new organization. It's Biotech Austria. Could you give a little bit of insight into your reasons why you started Biotech Austria and what, it's, what is it doing? Yeah, very happy to do so. So a group of us got together last year and we realized that there was something missing in our day-to-day -day work. And my statement in this respect is good science alone and scientific papers don't heal patients. It's not enough. So you need something to support the industry, the biotech companies, to get the bridge, to cross the bridge between the science and the, and the ideas, which come mostly from institutes and from universities, into an environment for clinical studies and preclinical work, and then later into big pharma. So um, we have over 150 specific biotech companies and even more if you look at those who work in biotechnology in Austria. In fact, Lisa Vienna and AWS just issued a fantastic report, which has just come out these days, showing the current environment in biotech. And there's many thousands of employees working in this industry here. So we thought we should do something, not just for the employees, but also for the companies. And to, to fill that gap, We founded Biotech Austria in December of last year, and in that short time, we've received, we've achieved actually quite a lot. How many, how many members do you have currently in Biotech Austria? Well, currently we have a networking of around 50 companies from the industry. We Impressive. Also have, we also have quite a few um, supportive members, those who also finance our activities which is, you know, we're doing this pro bono. So this is really just to keep things going. And we've got a lively exchange through events on a various amount of topics to support our members in communication matters, finding investors, for example, in public relations, in finance structuring things, and also the new way of work with the, with the change situation with home offices, specialist insurance, and that's just a few. But in particular, what we're doing is we're creating higher visibility for biotech to the general public, but also to politicians who open the doors for us in many fields. So this has greatly increased since December through excellent PR work. 
through our, our partners. And, and we also work very closely with other associations in Austria, whether it be Farmig, whether it be FOPI or Lisa Vienna, but also with international uh, associations like the International uh, Consortium of Biotech Associations with Bio and BioDeutschland, of course. So we're moving on here and we still have a lot to do, as you will hear. That's true. I like your quotes that you uh, mentioned earlier, and I also think it needs a lot to translate scientific results uh, from the concept stage uh, to the patient. And um, with my martial arts background that I acquired uh, from 1980-something onwards, um, I trained in looking at the success stories. I think um, talking about these North Stars in an industry helps other people uh, to find the way to success uh, quicker and simpler and easier than uh, the first movers in an industry. Could you give us a little bit insights in to, to the success stories of Biotech Austria? Which companies uh, are in your um, what should we say, portfolio uh, that stand out? Well, each, each individual company has its own success story. And, and please, if I'm just picking out a few of these, these are the ones who have been publicly um, made, people have been made aware publicly of their successes. But I don't want to leave anyone out here. But I will just uh, talk about a few companies which have been very successful over the past few months. And as you might recall, those of you who took part in our opening event in April, where we were lucky enough to have Christoph Huber, one of the founders of BioNTech on board, who actually said his biggest problem is that there aren't enough entrepreneurs. So what we're doing is not so much saying we're big and brilliant. We're saying we have to create a culture in Austria to get more people to take the jump to become an entrepreneur and also get the support through the various institutes in Austria and in Europe and around the world to make the move quicker. But talking about, to answer your question, I mean, let's look at recent successes over the past few months. Val Neva, one of our founding members, just across the road from where we are, they've just released phase three data from a successful COVID-19 vaccine trial. Fantastic news. Ukipa Pharma, they completed a US listing from a Viennese uh, company. Fantastic. Marino Med, also a listed company in Austria, an amazing success story. Timis, for example, was sold to Merck, a great result for the founders, but also for the, for the science behind their technology. And just very recently, an AI company, Allsight, was sold to the British-based Excientia. And uh, these are all a few success stories from Austria which we can talk about today. Of course, as I said, there are many others. Yeah, it's quite impressive uh, what's going on in uh, Central Europe. I think we've increased the scope and also look towards uh, the United States. You find more stories with a uh, connection to Austria, which I think is very unique. For example, uh, CRISPR Therapeutics, uh, Rodko Novak from Napriva, um, started also in uh, in Austria, Vienna, and I think also um, um, his his co-founder Emmanuel Charpentier spent her time uh, a few months in in Vienna. And I didn't know before you had your opening event last year that BioNTech had uh, a very strong uh, connection to Vienna. Could you highlight that a little bit more? Well, Christoph Huber, in fact, is Austrian, mm. and and he left Austria to go to Tübingen to work there. In the institute, and his uh, one of some of his colleagues, uh, the two science founders in at Biontech, 
were the ones who actually set up the company. So the three of them set up Biontech in 2008, as you said. But, you know, we realize that why do people leave Austria? We want to prevent that because they're staying here. More and more companies are being founded. More and more scientists are staying here and building up their future enterprises because, quite simply, the framework conditions are good. There is a lot of support for founding. People found their companies, the AWS, but also the ABA, the Austrian Business Agency. They support companies when they come to Austria, but also when they set themselves up. And what we do now is to say, right, but how do things move on from there? We need an improvement in the regulations, for example, for setting up a company. It's still a very central Europe thinking with an Austrian limited company. So you can quickly, as an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. set up a company. We don't have enough lab space here. We've got loads of ideas, but we're, 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 we need more lab space. So we need some entrepreneurs and we need some investors to build lab space to help us here. And, you know, talent is also a very, very valid point here. Um, Austria, for, or Vienna, in fact, has for many, many years been top of the list of one of the most attractive cities to live. And people want to live there. But of course, with higher taxes, with compensation structures, which are not necessarily attractive. And we want to facilitate the to make it easier for the red, white, red card, which is the application to get in here, strengthen education know-how for younger people to also say, I'd like to work in biotech. These are just a few of the things we have to start with. Uh, one question, when uh, somebody wants to start in Austria um, company, um, what, what's, what's working well here? You mentioned uh, a few, could we dig a little bit deeper uh, into that? Uh, what, uh, in your opinion, stands out here in Austria that helps uh, life scientists to get the first company off the ground? Well, if they actually take the plunge, and this is one of the biggest challenges we have, we have to create a culture of success. The culture of success, which is so common in the US and in the UK, where people say, I'm going to found a company, and I don't look at failure, I look at what I want mm. to achieve. This is not enough. And as, you know, we had various workshops on this. How do we improve this? It starts in universities. It starts in schools. Of course, it's a long way along the road, down the road. But we have to improve this mentality, this, this structure, which we have to do. That's number one. Number two, once you actually get there, you have to found a company or found something. You need support from all sorts of fields. How do you set up your own IP? Where do you get a lab? Where do you get offices? And as I said, there are institutions which are government funded, which support in that process. And that works okay. It works well. We, we, we're all working to make it work better. But of course, one of the stumbling blocks is founding a company. You need a certain amount to start the company and this money isn't there. So it might be easier to start with an Austrian limited with only a small input and then get the company moving from there. Of course, then the funding to do preclinical work is available, but there's no funding for clinical activities. So if you want to do a clinical trial, you have to look for investors. And this is where the second part of our problem comes, and that is to create and further financial resources for innovation and growth. And we need to set up certain frameworks to make sure that more investors invest in Austria. But again, we have hmm. enough money in Austria. There are enough investors. There's enough money in Austria. We have to get Austrians and Germans and other nationalities to invest more in Austrian biotech. And this is something we are looking at over the next couple of months. I agree to what you're saying. I think the, the funding for the earliest stages of a company formation is 
very well covered from public funds here in Austria. And uh, people can do a lot with a few hundred thousand euros private investment. I think we also have, uh, meanwhile, two or three funds, early stage funds uh, in Austria. Just thinking about ISD Cube and, uh, for example, Hermann Hauser in, in Tyrol, uh, also TechNet that support scientists to accumulate enough private funding to tap into public funding. But uh, I think the world, after the first uh, rounds of investment that comes mainly from public funds, is a little bit empty here in Austria. Do you share this perspective or perception? No, absolutely. We need to mobilize more local capital. We need to make it easier for people to invest in biotech and perhaps even create structures like they are in France or in Belgium or in Australia, where a certain amount of money Which is, which is spent by the government, has to go into R&D. The new German government, for example, has, has in their new coalition discussions, they're committing themselves to a certain percentage of the total budget will go into R&D investment in the future. Now, that is a statement for the future. We need these kinds of statements from the Austrian government as well. But of course, we also need it to make it easier for investors to invest in Austrian companies. And there are certain laws, which are the, for example, uh, that there's an EU law, which means that anyone outside of the EU wanting to invest in Austria and other EU countries, they need to go through certain hurdles. And we need to make that easier for biotech. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step -step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. Do you have uh, someone who already went through that? I mean, I read through this regulation, I think a year ago or so. And uh, looking at my experience in life science, which also started in 2006 with uh, Nabriva um, I mean, every company that I supported um, that was after this preclinical phase, after the initial steps needed to leave Austria for funding and mostly started starting fundraising outside Europe. So... BioNTech, for example, I mean, you mentioned it, I think they got about, before they went public, they had about, I think, 500 million euros or something, uh, capital accumulated, uh, which I don't see here in Austria. And it's also very, very difficult uh, to get such a high investment in Europe. I think there is a handful of family offices who tap into that. Um, how do you see this regulation on a larger scale? I mean, is it uh, helpful so that we have this additional step um, that uh, investors outside Europe need uh, regulatory approval or uh, would there be better ways to solve that? What's your opinion on that? Mm -hmm. Well, to give you another example, to answer your first question, we at Apiron Biologics, we de were developing drugs ourselves and we got a, a UK-based investor on board and he or the group of investors mm -hmm. had to go through the hurdles of getting approval <laughs> in Austria. And that took us a, a few weeks or let's say weeks also almost months And that mm -hmm. almost killed the deal. I mean, this is something we're looking at on a day-to-day -day basis. A yeah. delay in the process could get investors to say, well, look, if it's this complicated, I'm not, I might not invest. And, and let's not forget BioNTech as an example. 
they got, as you said, 500 million from Strungmans and MIG and other investors. They went public in the US with a market cap of over $3 billion. Their market cap now is over 40, 40. We're not, we're not looking for those dimensions yet in Austria. But of course, um, we, we, need to lo- we need to really mobilize more local capital to invest in the industry. And there are billions around and people want to do something. We're not just talking about investment. We're talking about helping society. We're talking about helping, helping the health of people, the future health of people. So that's why we need to mobilize these people. And we can only do this is creating more awareness of biotech in the general public and also for private investors. Yeah, I always forget that uh, the UK is not part of uh, Europe when it comes to funding or to this law anymore. I did um, my last analysis, I think, on the availability of funds here in Europe um, four or five years ago. And the number I came up with was that about uh, 5 billion euros are invested in life science companies in the early stages, so not the IPO uh, stories um, in Europe every year. And a friend of mine who happens to live in China, in Shanghai, uh, he's also European from France. Uh, he commented with a grin on his face and said, well, and uh, I think 4 billion of this 5 billion are located in the United Kingdom and only 1 billion is in Central Europe. And as you mentioned, when uh, we have such uh, tough regulations for investors who have, in my opinion, an abundance of opportunities on their table, so it's a very investor-friendly environment, it could be really a blocking stone. And uh, uh, I think uh, you you saw that the same way with your company, that it it's um, really challenging. Did I get the right impression of that? No, absolutely. Well, my background, I'm British, as you can hear from my accent, mm. possibly, although my roots are very Central European. But, you know, it's, it is indeed a cultural issue. And I think, you know, things are improving. Tech companies are very, very successful. There are many success stories from Central Europe with, with, with technologies, but not, not necessarily biotech. Mm. So this is something we're working on. Again, the culture of success has to be ingrained into people. We have to do more courses. We have to support younger people to understand it's not a sin to found a company and not be successful straight away, right? You can't be a billionaire when you're 25. You can be, but it's not a real okay. failure if you're not, right? So it's it's a hard grind. It's tough work. Mm-hmm. And if the two founders from our site, right, young, young men who did a fantastic job, they founded the company eight years ago, Uh, oh, sorry, uh, six years ago, and they've been very successful setting up their own technologies with their own invest, with their own ideas and support from the CEMM in, in Vienna, and, and just sold the company to, to um, Accenture, a British company. What a success story. And they still have the, the people here in Vienna. They're building a new site for further development of AI here in Vienna with money from abroad. What what do you want more? It's a great success story for this for, for Austria and also for Vienna. I absolutely agree with that. I think entrepreneurship is a lifestyle and it doesn't end with the first success. I think people, especially when they are young, they just continue doing what they are doing anyways. And uh, it's reality that I, uh, I met someone or meet someone who says, okay, I'm done. Uh, it's mostly when the people hit the 70s, 80s or 90s 
that they say, okay, uh, I had enough work. But still then, I mean, when I look on uh, United States, Warren Buffett, for example, uh, he's keeping going. He's in his 90s. Or in Austria, Red Bull, Dieter Mateschitz, I think he's over 70, keeps going. Um, the, the question that uh, is in my mind when I look at entrepreneurship and capital um, I mean, I agree to what you say. We have enough capital here in Austria, Central Europe, and especially it's also with the COVID crisis, I think uh, the bailout programs also in Europe uh, were tremendously high. Uh, what is missing? Why is it so challenging to motivate people to invest in life science? And why, for example, do people um, tend more to invest in other tech areas like cryptocurrencies, for example? I see the risks similar and I see the philanthropic approaches that... Um, you mentioned um, also quite similar how, how you defined it. Um, what is missing? How could we uh, make our industry more attractive to people? What is your opinion? Well, um, I mentioned it briefly earlier on. We have to, re, uh, we have to raise the appreciation in, from, to biotech. How does a drug get from the lab into the, into the drugstore? Mm. How does it work? People don't know. They think, oh, well, it happens to big pharmaceutical companies do all this. Yes, of course, they get it from a certain stage, the proof of concept, or even later, into, into the actual approved drug. But there's, some, there's something between this. And the more people realize that these are smaller companies who are really agile and really focused and really passionate about getting these things done, who want to achieve, they really do want to achieve all these companies. And they work really hard to do it. Once people realize that this is not an apparatus or whatever it is to get this done, but these are smaller, very efficient companies. And if we realize the appreciation increase it and consolidate it in the population of Central Europe, I think things will become much easier for getting financial research. Yeah, I think it's a typically a B2B problem that uh, life science is a B2B business. I think it's very rare that uh, companies bring the drug to the market themselves. I think also BioNTech uh, collaborated with Pfizer and maybe the B2B, B2C uh, businesses have it a little bit simpler because they traditionally do more on the marketing side. When we speak about marketing, um, what... Uh, How can people engage with you when they are interested in investing in companies uh, to find out more about which life science companies exist, uh, who the founders are, how they can engage with them? How uh, is the best way to approach with uh, Biotech Austria? Well, uh, of course, we have a website, but we're very happy to accept any requests uh, at our email address, office at biotechaustria.org. Um, but also, please feel free to contact me personally, and I'm very happy to pass this on. Uh, but the idea is really, if you are looking to invest in Austria and you're looking to hear about the Austrian Biotech uh, Society and, the Austrian, and the, uh, the Austrian Biotech achievements, then please, let's set up a, a call, let's set up a, a webinar, and, and we're also setting up events for our members so we, do, um, so we have the opportunity for them to meet investors or other interested parties. So watch the space. We've only been around for a few months. We're still in the process of doing a lot of things, but again, we're in that process. Super, Peter. Then uh, with uh, when you agree, I will add your contact data and the contact data of Biotech Austria to the description of the podcast so that people can uh, reach out to you directly. Sure. 
Peter, thank you very much for this great conversation about the uh, development of uh, life sciences in Europe and what's missing here in uh, Europe and also ways to engage with life science companies. I wish you, Pyron, your team and also your team at Biotech Austria, all the best for your future. Thank you very much, Christian. Again, thank you for the opportunity and look forward to catching up with as many as you as possible. You're very welcome to join future Biotech Austria events if you are in Austria and and therefore look forward to seeing you there. Thank you. Peter, have a great day. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye, Christian. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed. Have a great day. Mm -hmm.